Uh, I want to talk this morning about uh, what motivates us and drives us as believers. We kind of alluded to that uh, a little bit during worship, but uh, if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, and we're going to find one verse here that just is such a great motivator and a great encouragement to us. Uh, you know, it's not exactly an, an easy time to be a Christian. Uh, we've talked many times uh, about this and about um, the, the pervasive moral decline in our society, um, the, the increasing tolerance of what uh, used to just be not even talked about, uh, and about the fact that, that there's increased opposition to our beliefs, there's increased legislation against our beliefs, uh, and I really believe that's only going to get worse. Uh, religion's becoming more pluralistic. We've talked about these things many times. Uh, and, and really, it's not anything new. History is cyclical. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. This is not something that we're dealing with that other generations of believers haven't dealt with. In fact, many generations of believers uh, had it worse than we do. And I'll delineate those in just a second. But, but there are a great many similarities to different cycles in, in history of how believers have faced adversity and, and been in difficulty. Certainly, you go back to the time of Noah, uh, where, where basically the whole world was against God and, and walking in sin and evil. Uh, Noah and his family were the only ones who were steadfastly following the Lord, and, and it got so bad that God said, I have to destroy creation because uh, they just are, are so resistant to me. They won't even listen to, to anything. So... Noah certainly lived in a time of, of total opposition. Abraham and Lot certainly saw a culture that was depraved. Sodom and Gomorrah were, were probably beyond anything we can imagine. Uh, and they faced the, the uh, crisis of culture in terms of sin and depravity. Um, and, and they uh, had to make a decision about where they were going to stand with the Lord. We know Abraham did and Lot didn't. Um, but, but they... Uh, knew what it was like to be isolated and even threatened for their faith. The Jews were constantly uh, facing nations that were uh, evil. If you do some, some study of historical um, background in terms of the Philistines or the Ninevites or people like that, you'll find that, that torture, they took it to an art form. Um, the Ninevites especially, you can see why if you study the book of Jonah, why Jonah was so hesitant to go there because they were not a nice people. And, and not just, well, they're intolerant or they're, they're evil. They were brutal uh, to levels that I don't even think we see today. So from nations like the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Philistines, you, you go back through a time the Jews were constantly facing uh, people that were against God and, and people that were um, really trying to punish them for any affiliation they had with God. And then you get to the disciples and we look at the book of Acts, and we see that uh, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, uh, everything was not wonderful and easy for the disciples. In fact, the, the opposition to them ramped up to the point that their lives were threatened and they were imprisoned. Uh, all the 11 disciples who stayed faithful to Jesus were martyred, except for John. So, so there have been many generations of believers that have lived in times like we live in and even worse where there is opposition, where there's resentment, where there's legislation against uh, believing in Jesus Christ, legislation against the tenets of the Bible. Um, and, and really, when we, when we go through that and we see now some of the extremes that are taking place 
uh, where this is happening now in places like China and the Middle East and parts of Africa where there's uh, actual, literal, physical persecution of believers, where villages of Christians are being taken out and slaughtered um, because they don't want to uh, profess uh, their allegiance to Allah or to, to other gods. So, so we're seeing this happening. Uh, we've seen little threats of it in our country. Um, fortunately, it has not really happened in a large way, but it, it's happened in little incidences. So, so as we look at all those things, we say, well, that's kind of a depressing start to the message this morning. Paul, I'm so glad I came out today to, to hear that. What do we do? How do we respond to this? How do we, how do we get motivated at that point to, to serve the Lord, but, but not, just, not just motivated not to be discouraged? How do we get motivated to thrive? How do we get motivated to be joyful and powerful and confident and encouraged and, and serving faithfully and, and ready to go, anticipating God's blessing? How, how do we go from kind of the discouragement that we see within our culture? And I, and I talk to, to other believers. I talk to other pastors. People are discouraged. They don't really know what to do. They don't see an answer in the election. Uh, they, they don't see things changing. The news kind of gets worse every day. So how do we respond to that? Now, we have to look at what we do have rather than what we don't have. We, nobody's had to this week spend part, uh, all of their week building an ark, right? 120 years Noah labored with his sons building that ark. We, we haven't had to fight nine-foot warriors this week. Nobody went out to battle against a nine-foot giant with just a couple rocks and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you on in the name of the Lord. Nobody had to do that this week. Nobody had to challenge an entire nation this week to, to turn back to God like some of the prophets did who were then killed and, and had their skin stripped off their body. I mean, just horrible, horrible deaths that people have died for the Lord because they stood for him. None of us had to do that this week. So we've got to start from the base point of we've had a pretty good week, right? Everybody got here safe and sound today. We're dressed in nice clothes. We probably had some breakfast, certainly had some coffee this morning. Uh, life is good. We've got a nice weekend. We get tomorrow off. We're with our family. The weather's beautiful. I mean, there are, there are worse things, right? And we have the Bible in our hands. We get to worship with other believers. We've had great fellowship. We've praised the Lord this morning. We've gotten a call on his name, and we've gotten to pray. So we have a lot of good, but that doesn't mean that the challenges are any less real. And I think what we're facing right now is actually more subtle, and in some ways that can be more dangerous. Because we may not be aware of the spiritual resistance that's against us. We talk in general terms about the direction of the country and, and Christianity, things like that. But, but we have to come back to the place of realizing that we need to be aggressively Faithful to the Lord. Faithfulness is very underrated. I was thinking about this yesterday, that, that we tend to kind of view faithfulness as boring, but the Lord values it very highly. Jesus told us that someone who is faithful in a little will be trusted with a lot. He also said that the greatest honor that we can hear in heaven is to be told by the Lord, well done, good and, tell me, faithful servant. Those are the two qualifications that God gives, that, that beyond our faith in Christ and, and our loyalty to him, he will bless us when we're holy and when we're faithful. Those are the two things that Jesus says that's God's value. 
But he also knows that it's not going to be very easy for us. Jesus said, you'll be ridiculed, you'll be mocked, you'll be persecuted, you'll be punished. People will reject you, people will leave you. You, you, you may not have the popularity that you want, all because you're standing for me. Now we look at those conditions and we see the world becoming more and more hostile to Christ and to Christians. And, and honestly, with, with an introduction like that, it would be easy to be a little bit discouraged this morning. To, to lose our motivation, to be kind of, uh, kind of apathetic about serving the Lord. Because if I serve the Lord, look what happens. And it's not going to be easy. And I may lose friends. And, and, and I'm going to have to stand for God in a culture that's increasingly against God. So, so what do I do with that? Well, Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 15. And he wrote to a church that was in the middle of a very ungodly city, the city of Corinth. A city that had a lot of idol worship, a city that was on the trade route, that, that was very pluralistic in terms of religion. And he wrote to members of the church who were struggling with pride and with worldliness and were doing more fighting with each other than leading people to Christ. And he sends them a very simple exhortation. At the end of this book where really for the first 14 chapters, he's kind of correcting them and kind of giving them some spiritual parental advice to say, you guys need to cut it out. You're not showing any love for each other. You're fighting about who has the better spiritual gifts. You, you, you've lost your focus in terms of what to do. You've become carnal. I mean, all the things, when you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, it's really an indictment of worldly Christians. But he gets to the end of the book, and he talks about some things that are very positive and he gives a statement here in chapter 15 and verse 58 that we're going to focus on just for a couple minutes this morning uh, and, and I pray get some encouragement from the end of this chapter if you go back to verse 50 um, if you've ever been to a funeral you've probably heard this passage quoted because it talks about the fact that our physical bodies are perishable and that someone who is trusted in Christ and someone who is saved um, their spirit, all of our spirits live on forever, but, but their spirit lives on forever in victory because of the work that Christ has done. He rose again after defeating sin and death. He took our sins to the cross. So because of his victory, because Christ defeated the grave, as we sang about this morning, now when we die as believers, we have victory. We're not sent to hell. We're not stuck in our sin and bondage. We've been delivered from that. So many times at the funeral of a believer, you'll hear 1 Corinthians 50 to 58 read or quoted because it brings comfort to the family and it reminds us that we have an unshakable hope because of what Christ has done, that our hope is complete and God has saved us and adopted us forever. When Paul wrote this passage, he wasn't writing it for a funeral. He was writing it to strengthen us as believers. And I want to encourage you this morning, and I want you to hear this verse, and I want to study this verse together for a couple minutes, because this will strengthen us today. Christ has given us victory. And because Christ has given us victory, that is all the motivation, that's, the, that's the, all the springboard that we need to be faithful and to persevere in our faith. So look at verse 58. We're just going to read this one verse this morning. And then we'll take it apart a little bit. I want to encourage you to take some notes. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil 
is not in vain in the Lord. Now, there may be no verse in all of Scripture that is more concise or, or more of an appeal to us than this one. And it lays out three very simple, very practical goals that get right to the point of what we need as believers. And then it closes with a very important reminder that I don't know about you, but I definitely need to hear this morning. So let's just do a very simple, straightforward study of the text to, to encourage us to keep striving, keep serving, keep laboring for the Lord uh, on this Labor Day weekend. We need to hear about laboring for the Lord. So get a pen. You got a place in your bulletin to write some notes and, and write down some words of encouragement to yourself today uh, because we have a busy fall to go and there's going to be a lot of challenges, okay? Now, in the verse, Paul gives three instructions to those that he calls beloved brethren, meaning this is a call to those who love the Lord. This is a call to those who really stand for and serve the Lord. Instruction one is to be steadfast. Instruction two is to be immovable, and instruction three is to be always abounding, okay? Steadfast, immovable, and always abounding. As you write those three sentences down or those three phrases down, if you're discouraged this week, if you're demoralized, if you feel disenfranchised because of what we talked about in the introduction, keep coming back to these verses. These are like a, a spiritual north star. They give a they give a spiritual uh, frame of reference to strengthen us. So you're discouraged this week and you're, you're living in frustration and you're, you're upset about something that's going on in your life. Come back to this and, and God will say, this is what you're supposed to do. Be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding. Now these are powerful commands. And they are commands. They're not suggestions. They apply to any believer. A child who's growing in their faith and who's developing their convictions, and who's learning how to act, needs to hear these commands. A teenager, a college student, who is, who is being challenged in their school, who's having to stand uh, amid their peers who are trying to get them to do the wrong thing, and is having to, having to stand for what they believe, and, and, and be unpopular because they love the Lord, and they love the Word of God. They need to hear these words. Believers of any maturity level, no matter if you're newly saved or you've been saved 50 years, that, that we have to decide that we love the Lord more than we love anything else. We have to decide how firm we're going to be in our convictions and our influence for people for Christ. So we need to come back to these commands because they tell us how to do it and they tell us why to do it. Okay, number one, we're called to be steadfast. Everybody say that together. Be steadfast. Be steadfast in the Lord. Now, that's a great word. It means to be firm and settled. That's the biblical definition of the word. The dictionary I looked at says to be fixed in direction, firm in purpose, and unwavering. I don't know about you, but I need more of that. Fixed in direction, firm in purpose, and unwavering. Now, that's about our theology. And theology always drives practice. What you believe about God, what you believe about the Bible, not only influences how you live, but it influences how you think, it influences how you obey, it influences how you pray, it influences how you trust. What you believe about God has tremendous impact. What you don't believe about God has tremendous impact. And how we 
answer a couple questions that I'm going to give you will we'll kind of give us some clue on how easy it's going to be for us to be steadfast because that's the command, be steadfast. So let me ask you four questions. On a scale of 1 to 10, how fully do you believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God? Don't answer. On a scale of 1 to 10, how, how firmly, how sure are you that the Bible is the infallible Word of God? On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your willingness and comfort in trusting the Lord daily for everything? Not for some things, not when it's easy, but, but how willing are you, 1 to 10, to, to trust the Lord with everything? On a scale of 1 to 10, how essential is it that you obey the Bible exactly as it's written? Not looking for nuance, not looking for latitude, not looking for, for places where you can argue, well, it's not really saying that because I wanted... No, on a scale of 1 to 10, how essential is it that you obey the Bible exactly as it's written? And then finally, on a scale of 1 to 10, how important is your calling to model Christ and to tell Him about others? Now, I hope you wrote down literal numbers there, and if not, we can go back over the questions, but... but at least in your mind, I hope you were thinking, well, I'm about a six on that, I'm about a nine on that. And I want to tell you, if, if, if that wasn't even an issue, you read those questions, you're like, you're joking, right? Because I am all in on this. I am, I am a nine or ten on every question. A and you're saying, I'm fixed in my direction. I'm certain about God. I want to follow the Lord. Whatever happens, I, I, am, I am firm and I'm unwavering in my conviction to resist temptation and sin and serve Christ. Well, that's wonderful. I hope that's where everybody is. But I know it's not. So if you were answering four or five, there's still some wavering going on in your faith. And, and you're still not sure if you want to be all in in terms of holiness and the Word of God, especially within the culture. And you're, you're kind of struggling to trust because you don't fully understand God's will. And, 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 and I don't know, I'm just... Paul, I want to be there, but I'm not. Maybe the Bible still seems subjective to you. Maybe, maybe you want to take the parts you like and not take the others. Maybe you still want to have some control over your life. I want to tell you that that, that position, being at four or five, just creates instability. It creates instability in our lives. You, you, you love to be firm and settled, but, but you're not. There are some reasons, and, and, and that's... That's something that, that really isn't determined by how long you've been saved. Listen, I've seen people that are newly saved that are so on fire and so all in, and you're never getting me to go back to my life for anything. I've seen that, and I've also seen people that have been saved 40 or 50 years that still struggle with their faith, that still don't want to give in to the Lord, that, that, that say, well, I, I've been saved a long time, but you couldn't tell it from their lives. So this is not an issue of, well, I've only been saved a year, Paul, and I don't know if I'm all in. Listen, you're either all in or you're not. If you want to continue to live the way you used to live and, and have that part of your life and then claim God over here, uh, that, that's the type of life that God says, that makes me sick to my stomach. I just want to, I want to throw up when I see that. So are we steadfast? Are we, are we in? Are we committed to the Lord? See, when our faith is weak, unsteadiness is created. That's why so many people struggle to be steadfast in the Lord. But when your faith is confident and you're yielded, and we talked about that while we were singing this morning, confidence in the Lord, security in the Lord, 
when, when you're confident in the Lord, there's a resolution in your heart and your mind that, that circumstances and people and temptation may rattle you, but they're not going to move you. Listen, if you're not rattled by some of the stuff that happens in our world and some of the stuff that happens in our lives, then you're not human. It's human to be a little disconcerted, right? But it's not godly to be moved by it. Steadfast, unwavering, you're not going to move me off of trusting in the Lord. You're not going to move me off of obeying the Lord. This is my theology, and my theology drives my life. Hebrews 6.19 says, This sure and steadfast hope that we have in Christ is an anchor for our soul. I hope you're anchored, to use the theme of our church, I hope you're anchored in the Lord. A boat can ride along with its anchor dragging on the sand, and it catches once in a while, but it's bobbing up and down the water. I think a lot of people live that way. They're driving along in the boat, and the anchor kind of catches once in a while. No, we need to be firm and settled in the Lord. We need to be confident in the Lord. And how firmly we believe in Him will determine whether we're shaken and staggered or not. So, first instruction, be steadfast, firm in your faith, certain about the gospel, confident in your convictions. Second, out of that, we're next commanded to be immovable. Everybody say that word, immovable. This is the extension of steadfast, and it means to be firmly persistent. Firmly persistent. What does that mean? It means that if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you're not going to be moved. You're not going to waver. You're not going to yield in your faith. You're not going to yield in your obedience. There's no way you're going to get me to change my mind because I'm immovable in my love for God. I'm immovable in my belief that the Bible's the word of God. I'm immovable in my conviction that the gospel's true. That there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, my Savior. I'm immovable about my convictions. I'm immovable about being sanctified and walking in holiness. I'm immovable about prayer. I'm immovable about serving the Lord. You, you can't change me. Analyze it this way. Is there anyone or anything who would cause you to renounce what you believe about Christ? Is there any situation where you would say, uh, if that happened, I, I, I'd have to yield? And on a lesser scale, is there anything or anyone who could, comp uh, who, who could convince you to compromise morally? Is there anyone or anything in your life that, that will convince you to disobey the word of God, to turn on your witness for Christ because you want to please them? How we answer those questions determines, look at the word, determines whether we're immovable or not. And so much of the push of spiritual warfare is to get us to compromise. And it starts with negotiating God's word. Is this book that we hold in our hands our rule for life or is it a suggestion manual? Is this, no, I'm a move along on that. Every word, I'm supposed to live by every word of this. I believe every word of this. This is God's word. The Holy Spirit wrote it through people who were inspired. And this is my rule for life. I don't care about anything else. This is how I live. Is that how we are with the word of God? Or is it kind of, well, it's nice and it gives me some good suggestions. And, and I try my best, Paul, to, to live by it. But, you know, some of those things are just, they're just too extreme. Is that how we are? 
How we answer that question determines how immovable we are. We are called as believers to be set apart, to be an example of Christ, to honor him in every way. And if we're quick to concede for personal pleasure or, or, or to satisfy somebody else or to try to fit in, then we're failing on what it means to be immovable. And there's no church that needed to hear that word more than the Corinthians because the Corinthians were just a church of compromise. They were constantly walking on the spiritual edge, constantly trying to, to have the benefits of God's grace, but still live their old life and be part of the world. So when they should have been humbled and broken by sin and overwhelmed by the grace of God and, and so, so grateful for God's mercy, instead they were proud and they were, they were, were, were entitled and they were abusing the grace of God. And Paul has to write to them, and this is probably the most scathing rebuke in all of the New Testament. He says, you guys got to stop it because you're damaging the work of Christ. And you're not standing as believers. They should have been consecrating themselves, sanctifying themselves, walking with the Lord. Instead, they sought every opportunity to exercise their liberty. And they reasoned that because they're forgiven, and I hear this, I had a discussion about this with some old friends yesterday, that, that because I'm forgiven, that I can do whatever I want now. I've heard this is a justification for people leaving their marriage. Well, God forgave me, so you know what? I want to have an affair because I'm forgiven, and, and God can't turn back. You say that God can't turn back on his word, so he forgave me. Now I can do what I want. That's a complete understanding of the whole book of Romans. We don't have liberty to sin. We have liberty now to be godly. And instead of negotiating the Bible, we need to obey the Bible and forget what the world says is the right thing to do. And forget what our self craves, which is to satisfy itself. So the Corinthians, he writes to them and he says, guys, if there are three words that you need to hear, it's steadfast, immovable, and always abounding. Because right now, you're careless and calloused and carnal and confused. And that's not working. So look back at it. Steadfast, immovable. Third, be always abounding in the work of the Lord. I love this one because it's so positive. Paul's just described the victory that Christ has secured for us. He's just described that spiritual bondage is no more, that sin doesn't have any control anymore, that death is no longer in the equation. He says we're all secure because Christ has secured us. And when we trust in him as Savior, that now we have victory. So now he says to us, abound in that truth. The word means to go beyond what is normal, to be overflowing. And I think this is the mindset that, that motivates us to not only be overflowing with praise and gratitude to the Lord, but it also causes us to be overflowing with a desire to serve Him. Knowing what Christ has done for us. Just think about that for a minute. Think about the songs that we sang. You can even look back at your song sheet. What did we sing about? We sang about the grace of God. 
knowing what we've been given. And that's the key. Because if you aren't completely blown away by the mercy of God, if you aren't overwhelmed by the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf, if you're not so thrilled about the new life that God has provided that we don't deserve for a second, then we will not come to the point of saying, I will not do anything but serve the Lord. I think we have a misunderstanding in many ways of what God's done. I think we struggle because the enemy tries to push this, that, that we're not grateful for what God, God has done. But listen, when you look at the cross and you realize what Christ has done, you cannot say anything but my life is yours. My life is yours. God's gift is so amazing and so awesome. And when we realize how amazing and awesome it is, we will be completely sold out for him. Temptation? Nope. Nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to go back and live in bondage. I'm not going to give the enemy any room, any opening to lie to me and corrupt me. So when temptation comes calling, I'm not even tempted by it because I'm committed fully to Christ. Compromise? No. No, I will not be careless with Christ's sacrifice. I will not dishonor him by walking back into sin. He's declared me holy. He's given me a new holy nature. He's filled me with his Holy Spirit, and that's how I'm going to live. The old life, my old friend, my, my, my friends, my, my old vices, no, I'm not interested. They're hindering my maturity in Christ. And the more I yield to them, the more I damage my walk and the more I damage my witness. The more I damage my ability to show people that spiritual transformation is real and Christ is the cause of it. Doubt and fear? Nope, I'm not interested. I trust the Lord and you're not going to change my mind. God's always been faithful. God's always provided. God's always been sufficient. And you're not going to convince me that there's anything or anyone better than Jesus Christ. He's my Lord, and I trust him, and I'm going to follow him without question. Other priorities? Nope, nada. Nothing's more important than the Lord. And I'm going to lead my family and lead my friends to know that. God's given me gifts, and I'm going to use them on his behalf and to serve him and to tell other people about him. And I'm going to mature in him because that's going to please him. What's that mean? That, that's, that's abounding in the work of the Lord. From your convictions to your faith to your being set apart to being obedient to being a strong witness. God has changed me. Listen now. God's changed me, and I'm going to be living proof of that change. Now that's going to open you and me up to significant spiritual attack of the devil, Ruth said. But you know what? He's not stronger than the Lord. God's already won victory over the devil. God is stronger than the devil. And we're going to be steadfast and immovable. And there may be times where we're discouraged and times where we're isolated and times where we may even feel like a pariah. But you know what? That's the cost of discipleship because the reward is greater. Now, look at the last part of the verse. We don't want to miss this and we're going to pray. Be steadfast. Be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing, this is why we do it, because we know it's a truth, it's not a hope, it's not, well, maybe it, no, knowing that your toil or your labor 
is not in vain in the Lord. Now that word labor there, it means intense work. But it's work with present and future value. Paul says it's not in vain. And I love the meaning of that word. Because the word there means it's not empty and it's not fruitless and it's not without effect. It has spiritual impact now and eternal worth to the Lord in the future. Think about the 168 hours you have this week until we, by God's grace, gather next Sunday. How much will you and I do that will be fruitful for the Lord? How much will you and I do that will have an eternal impact? You say, all right, well, that's nice. You're in ministry. You can say that. But I have to go to school. Or I have a really dead-end job that doesn't make a spiritual difference. Or I've just got to watch my kids this week. Okay, what impact can we have in those situations? What, what, what can we do in those? You're a parent raising your children at home. You've got hours of opportunity every day to talk to them about the Lord and to sing songs with them about the Lord and to teach them to pray. You're a student. you got to go to school. you got homework starting Tuesday, and you're going to be in class every day, and it's boring, and you're changing classes. All right, you have hours of opportunity every day to have the joy of the Lord, to work hard as unto the Lord, to take a spiritual stand for biblical convictions, to minister to kids who are hurting and need spiritual counsel and need someone to put their arm around them and say, can I pray for you because I see you're struggling. You're an employee, all right. You hate your job, that's fine, 80% of people do. You can go in this week and you can respect your boss and you can work as hard as you can because you're working as unto the Lord. You're not working as unto the company. You can speak words of encouragement. You can have a strong spiritual influence. You can pray for the person next to you who is swearing up a storm because the Bible says pray for those who hate the Lord. All right, fine. I'm going to pray for that person that God will work in their heart, that I can have a conversation with them. And maybe there will be an opportunity where you can say, can I pray for you? And they go, you know what? I really need somebody to pray for me because I'm not doing well. Fine, let's take a minute and pray. Let's go eat lunch together. We can show the love of Christ to people who don't know him. You're a spouse. You can be sacrificial. You must be sacrificial and loving to your spouse. You're a child. You can show respect and obedience to your parent. You're a single person. You can be godly and pure. You can go deeper in dependence. You're a believer serving in ministry, and it seems worthless and like it doesn't have an effect. Well, you know what? God's watching. People that are holding babies this morning, God's watching that. God's counting that. He's making a record of that. They served me this morning. In all things, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? What's, what's the motivation for that? Well, because we're told that our labor is not in vain. There is no lost labor in the kingdom of God. In fact, Hebrews 6.1, write it down, look at it later. Hebrews 6.1 says, God is not in unjust to forget your work and the love you've shown in his name ministering to others. If you show love to a fellow employee this week who's cursing God up and down and you're standing wherever you are at work and you're praying for them, Lord, change that person's heart. Help me to find a way to minister to them. Help me to love them because they are unbelievably unlovable. But you know what? I am too and you died for me. 
Help, help me to show them, Lord. Give me a way. Give me an end. Give me a, give me a, a way to minister to that student that, that is a bully to me. Give me a way to minister to my spouse because they don't, they don't love the Lord and they're not, they're not caring for me. You know what? Lord, show me a way. You know, when we do that, God says, I don't forget that. I'm watching that. And I'm making a record of that. And you're ministering to somebody else, and that's what I've called you to do. Not only will he not forget, but the Bible says he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Imagine if instead of resenting your fellow employee, you start praying for them. Do you think God's going to go, eh, I'm still not going to work? He's going to see you standing at the machine saying, Lord, help me to minister to that person. Help me to speak the gospel to that person and show them love. God's going to say, I'm going to give you that opportunity. You ready? You ready to talk? Because I'm going to give you that opportunity. That person that's bullying you at school, you pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Okay, you pray for them. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to change that relationship. God's in the work of transformation. And everything we do for him, listen, I'm done. Everything we do for him has a future value that is greater than anything we'll experience here. So when we trust him and we stand for him and we obey him and when we serve him, he says, that's not empty. That's not worthless. Don't, don't, don't let the devil fool you. That's bearing fruit. And I promise you, I see it. And I promise you, I'm pleased. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because your labor and my labor is not in vain. Let's pray.